Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. I have female friends that I know them. So when we sit down and do their budget in a professional space, they want to act like I don't know them. And I'm like, man, <laughs> those bundles are $600 in your hair. You and I know them. that getting them installed was probably another $300. Okay, cool. You're going to be able to keep those bundles for one year. So in January, you're going to need to put another $600 in bundles. And that's literally the level of discussion that we have to get to. Yeah. Um, even with men, I know you like nice shoes. You might... My brother, I hope you're not listening, loves Jordans, loves like, so every time a new pair would drop. So when we made his budget, I was like, look, I need you to look at all this. Go ahead and Google the drops coming up in the next quarter. And however many drops they are, we're going to put $500 per drop aside and see whether or not that works in your budget. In reality, most times, the only person who's going to see this budget is you. Right. Or someone who you paid to see it with you. So they don't have any impression of you. This is not connected to who you are as a person. It's not a tool to judge you. Yeah. It's not a barometer by which you fail or, or succeed as a human. It is a tool to help you succeed as a human. It's not the buy-all, end-all. Like, what's yeah. in it? I can guarantee you millionaires are budgeting for their trips. They're budgeting for their indulgences in their cash flow. Because it's things they enjoy. It's what makes them happy. And happiness has to be a part of your budget. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Art's not here. It's me solo again today. But we still got some amazing information for you. Uh, and I'm, I'm super excited to get to today's guest. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're discussing first. But today's guest is... Whew, 
And you, you're going to hear a lot from her across the next several weeks. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. But I'm pleased to announce that we're kicking off a special four-part series completely and totally focused on the dollars you earn, how you can grow them, how you protect them, and how you can put them to work for you. How you can set your money up to make you more money. It's about how we get our lives right financially. I mean, in, in church, we talk about getting spiritually right. At New Year, we're always talking about New Year, new me, new year, new you, getting <laughs> physically right, right? After a tough period when you're going through it and you're emotionally drained, you're trying to get emotionally right. But, but when are we getting financially right, right? And, and more to that, when do we stop talking and, and, and start doing, right? Today, I want to inspire someone to, to shut up and do or shut up and do more, do better, do period, right? Today, I want to help you take your first step or maybe your 14th step toward a stronger financial future. We want you to feel stronger than you did yesterday, that your life is in balance and that your dollars are not simply a limited resource, but are instead a working force supporting your growth toward whatever you dream about for your tomorrow. And that's just a tip because this whole month, this, these next four episodes are chopped full of information all about money, budgeting, finance, investing, tax structure. There's so much rich information coming your way that I don't care how new or how experienced you are, you're about to learn something. As a matter of fact, the reason I'm so excited about today's guest <clears throat> is she's not just a guest. Today, she's a guest. She's also a facilitator. She's the co-host for all four of these episodes. She is dope as hell, smart as fuck, aggressive, driven. She is a damn star. And I'm not going to lie. I am not going to do her introduction any justice. And you know I try, right? <laughs> I try. So what I'm going to do is step back and allow Miss Insa, our guest today, and our co-host for the rest of this four-part series to introduce herself to you. Wild Black, please. Let's welcome Ms. Ensa to the show. Ensa, tell them a little bit more about yourself, what you do, why you're so damn credible, and how dope this series is about to be. Awesome, awesome. I'm excited to be here. And um, I think you did an amazing job with that introduction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> by way of credentials, I feel like there's a lot of credentials people could have. Um, I think my greatest credential is uh, experienced. That's, that's my greatest credential, is that a lot of the things you're going to hear us talk about, I've, I've been... Um, firsthand involved in. So um, I got into accounting and finance actually from watching my mom who worked for the IRS for years. I've been doing taxes since I didn't know what taxes even were. I had an advocate <laughs> out helping my mom with taxes. So it's been a long time. Um, by trade, I'm a certified management accountant. I have my own accounting and tax firm and financial consulting firm um, based in Atlanta, but have completed financial system implementations and ERP implementations for large companies, multinational companies, um, over 47 countries, basically, um, which include like their taxation and invoicing billing and even how they invest um, and currently work as the CFO for a couple of private equity funds and family investment vehicles. So um, have just been around money all my life and have been trying to figure out 
how to pass this knowledge that I sometimes get by accident, you know, or mm-hmm. by trial and error on to other people. So that's it. That's why I'm here. That's what I want to do. And I'm ready. Let's do this. I love it. I love it. You want to you wanna shout out a book or any businesses or anything while we getting started? Let them know. Oh. Listen, flex on these people. <laughs> Look, on, on Wild Black, they are used to us bringing dope-ass, accomplished, successful guests yeah, yeah. to educate. Flex on them. They love it. I love it. If they you don't know, love it, I love it. A little it. bit. Oh, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. So I through all humble today. this year. <laughs> I did. I tried to keep it low-key. but I, So I, I published two books this year. One is called Learning to Leap, and it's about, uh, it's a compilation of 25 different journeys um, into entrepreneurship from corporate spaces. So it includes myself, um, Melissa Butler, who's the CEO of Lip Bar, Beatrice Dixon, who's the CEO of the Honey Pot, and her brother Simon, who's the CFO um, of Honey Pot. And then, you know, just a couple other, not a couple, a bunch of other very successful entrepreneurs, investors um, that really just want to share their journeys, different ages, different lengths of time since they left. And just sharing those journeys and nuggets of things that they've learned since they left their corporate spaces. Um, Because I see the world is really pivoting towards, especially Black people, finding um, wealth outside of the traditional walls. And so definitely check out Learning to Leap. Um, It's available on my website, which is just insahuber.com. There you go. I love it. And the other book is a book of poetry because I also believe in being multifaceted. So there's that. (laughs) And I want to spell it insahuber, E N. S-A-H-U-G-E-R.com, correct? E-N-S-A-H-U-G-E-R.com. You already know how this goes because listeners, what you don't know is we've already recorded the, the three episodes you'll catch next. So Insa's a pro at this point here, but this is our first time actually taking her through wild black shit. So I'm going to have a blast. Right. And, and this one, we're doing it in a way we haven't done in a while. So... Oh, you gonna throw me a curve? You've been here too much. Now we got to. We got to. We got to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, wild black shit. Wild black shit. Three questions. Normally, two are fun and one is serious. But because this series to me is so important, we're doing two serious and one fun. But the fun one is heavily audio, so you're gonna have to listen. You're gonna have to chime (laughs) in. But before we get to that, let me hit you with this first question. So. We're talking about money, financing. Today, we're going deep in budgeting. Out of all the money and finance books you've ever read, regardless Mm -hmm. if they are about functional budgeting or money, if they are inspirational, doesn't matter if they're mind-bending, behavior-shifting books, all of the above count. Mm -hmm. List the top three books that you would recommend people who are interested in getting started or getting better should read. That's a good one. You put me on the spot. So my... My first answer um, is going to be the Bible. And I know Mm. that may not sound like a a traditional answer to that question. And that's just because I'm really, really focused on your relationship with your whole self. Yeah. Um, And so no matter what we were talking about, your physical fitness, your mental fitness or your financial fitness, I'm going to say it's going to start with your relationship with with God um, or whoever, you know, whatever it is that you praise. But for me, that's the Bible. Right. Right. Um, So. That's one. Um, I'm going to say the dictionary. Mm. <laughs> okay. And it's, again, terminology is important. And there's definitely financial dictionaries. I've had a couple. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? 
Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Um, and then thirdly, any book on personal finance. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So I have textbooks, which I wouldn't tell anybody to necessarily go run out and get these textbooks. Um, I legitimately still have textbooks. I get new ones. I haven't been in school in like a decade. Wow. Um, But I still have a, a personal finance textbook. And a financial accounting textbook, but I would definitely encourage people to get a personal finance uh, like textbook, like an old one. You can get a used one, not that old. You don't want it to be super outdated, right. but something from the last like year or two um, that students use and they're selling on Amazon for little or nothing. Um, and I'm all about getting the specific knowledge you need and not general knowledge. So you know, there are a lot of smaller books on specific topics. Um, I do read or have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that's a great book, but it's also a mentality shift, yeah. you know, type of book. Yeah. So yeah. to me, that's why I started with the Bible because, you know, your mentality, whatever it is, you got to get that right before you can start any of this. I love that. And we can build on that through today's episode because we're, we're talking today in more detail about your mindset and about budgeting mm-hmm. and I think it's like starting at the right place is, is always important. But we about to start with this fun question. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, so the way this is going to work is we've got five clips from movies. We're going to oh, play you. Oh, you're going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play uh-huh. you like 20, you know, 20 or so seconds from each. And let me see uh-huh. if you can if you can guess. You're going to take my black card because I don't watch movies. This is going to be so funny. Ooh, okay, this go is going to be it. a good one then. All right. I know. You should have did music. I know all the ad libs. Go ahead. <laughs> What's funny <laughs> is I started to go down the route of music too. But you got these movies coming. <laughs> We're right. going to do it. Let's do it. So clip number one. Waheed, you ready? Are you guys happy? Oh, no. <laughs> good. I have no clue. <laughs> Just in case, what you doing, JT? All that he sees. Oh, no. I have no clue. And I don't even want to guess because it's going to be like, no, girl, that's real bad. (laughs) That's bad. I will say, this is my favorite movie. Okay. Absolute favorite 
movie. That's the five heartbeats. That's what I thought. I should have said it out loud. Take that risk. You got to jump out there. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I hate losing. All right. All right. I Let's got go. nothing but love for you, That's what I thought baby. it was, because I'm like, is there a heart? I feel it. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Let's hit it with number two, Wahid. Blue contact lenses. They're just jealous. Right. Jealous. Rachel, I've been watching you. Look at you. Oh. <laughs> You're not slick. If that was true, he wasn't much to look at. <laughs> Tell me, like, doll. You got it. Look at you. Didn't even wait the music start. <laughs> I don't even need it. School days. I'm like, that one I know from what they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. And I've only seen that movie once in my life. Literally Listen, once in my life. Long, long as you've seen it, right? It's a right. school day. It's a, class. It's, it's, a, it's a little old. I think it's older <laughs> than both of us, but it's such a classic. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hit it with number three, bro. Come here, Lucky. I want to whisper something to you. Oh, justice. <laughs> you didn't have to wait for that one, did you? <laughs> I know her voice anywhere. You ain't got to even. <laughs> you ain't even got to wait because I know I love her voice. <laughs> you got you. You ready for these movies more than you wanted to admit? Well, that's because that's a music crossover. I love Janet. Now I, I, <laughs> I, I dressed watch. up as Janet Jackson for Halloween like two years ago, so <laughs> I was prepared for poetic justice. I'm hitting Instagram and looking for proof. I'm going back. <laughs> While well, he hit it with number four. You want this last piece? I don't want that last piece. Nigga, you don't need to be eating shit. All right? I'll take mm-hmm. it. And why you always do that? If you want a last piece, why did you ask me if I want a last piece? First of all, I didn't ask you. But the reason I asked Mike, the same reason you asked Lisa to marry It sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I thought y'all was going to be happy about me having second thoughts. Mm. What you got? No. Is it the wood? What's the it one? It is. Um, you, you got okay, it. Okay, great. Oh, because I'm like, I knew the character's voice. I couldn't think of the name of the movie. But it's it. Okay, <laughs> Listen, Ooh. right now, if you would have trusted your instinct, you'd be four for four. I'd be four for four. You'd be four I'm for mad. four. I would have had a four for four. It could have got me nuggets <laughs> and fries. This is crazy. I'm going right. to do better. The, the fifth and final guest that movie, why he'd hit it with that clip. I should go, all right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't even got to go there. <laughs> it's Love Jones. That's my favorite movie. So you can stop. As soon as the music started, I was like, that's Love Jones. <laughs> that's my favorite movie. You don't even got to go no further. <laughs> I watched uh, that repeatedly. As soon as they put it on Netflix, I was like, they're going to kick me off Netflix as much as I don't watch this. <laughs> People have stolen it from me. I've taken it back. Like, I will show up at your house to get my uh, VHS back of Love Jones. Not the VHS. <laughs> Not, oh, yes. Not for the VCR. I, I have, <laughs> yes, I still have the VHS with no VCR. Um, yeah, that's my movie. I feel like that's my real life. <laughs> well, look, for somebody who was worried about the movie section, you you crushed it. I guess so. I guess so. I, I'm doing it. better than I thought. <laughs> yeah. All right, so last question, signature question. What do you love most about life while black? Oh, uh, and then you think you think I'd be prepared, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not. So I, I would just say like how much we um, continue to overcome, like our resilience yeah. is so beautiful to me. And, and just that level of like shared experience, right? Yeah. So I feel like um, I could start singing a song in a group of strangers, you know, Black people that I've never met, and they just start singing along. 
And that's really happened. Like I've been at a um, putt-putt golf in Pigeon Forge a couple of weeks ago. And we were stuck inside because it was raining. And I just started humming a song and people started singing along that I'd never met. And all of the other people, unmelanated individuals, um, were looking at us like, oh, is that your family? Is that your... No, I never <laughs> met that woman in my life. Like, But she knew what I was thinking and that I had to entertain myself in this space. And she joined in. And I think that's just something beautiful about us. There's a level of like camaraderie and support and yeah. just that shared experience that, you know, we can laugh at the same things. We feel the same things without yeah. words. Um, there's so much shared, even in just our eyes. We we learn to communicate with one another without words. We learned that a long time ago yeah. and it's still serving us well, you know, to this day. I say that. I love to think of it, that our connections are so deep between each other that we communicate mm-hmm. without words. It, it's literally a, mm-hmm. an innate feeling, a feeling inside of us that can it connect is. with another. Just that quick. It is. I mean, just even like, you know, walking through the airport, I see as I was traveling a lot, I would see other black women that also were traveling a lot. You could just tell we hadn't had one conversation, but mm-hmm. I knew by the way she was dressed and the way she was walking and her luggage that she does this a lot and she might be having a rough day. And just that smile of like, sis, you got it. Yep. You know, those are words being said without any actual verbal, you know, communication. And I've had men stand in the gap for me, black men just stand in the gap for me in a, in a place where, you know, with a mechanic or whatever. And they're like, nah, since we're not about to let them run you over. Yeah. Never said a word, just stand in the gap. And yeah. that's just, it's brilliant. I don't know how we do it, but I'm, I'm in awe. I love our connection. And I love when we do it right, our responsibility mm-hmm. to, through, and for each other. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move into the dope quote. Listeners know what the dope quote is. It's something typically from the mouth of someone black, history, religion, science, math, entertainment, arts, culture, um, that has relevance and impact on the topic we're talking today. Um, Today's dope quote, I don't know who it's from. It's actually a a Chinese proverb, but I thought it was so applicable to what we're talking about today. So I want to take a second, read it to you, and get your thoughts. Let's do it. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Now, yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, tell me what what comes to mind when you hear that. Yeah, I think that you know it's it's reminding us that um, we shouldn't wait to do important things, and mm. in order for something to really grow and bear fruit, you've got to uh, be rooted. You got to go ahead and get it planted. And yes, you should have done it before. Like it's a reminder. It's a a piece of accountability. Yes, you should have done it before. But in lieu of that, do it right now. Yeah. You know, so um, it's kind of both accountability and the prompting to do it right this second. Don't yeah. wait anymore. You've already, you're already 20, 20 years late. Don't right. wait anymore. You'll look up, it'll be another 20 years before you know it. it in a minute, in a minute. Because when I think about even COVID, right, we keep saying COVID season and we're in the middle of a pandy. And I'm like, but are we in the middle of a pandy? Because like, what part of the pandy are we in now? I look up and it's been right. two years pretty much. <laughs> like, It's just confusing to think that that was like the beginning of 2020. Yeah. And now we're almost through the end of 2021. Cool. Well, Here we are. Let's, let's lay some foundation down for our listeners. Let's, let's talk about the state of America and, and Black America when it comes to a financial baseline and an income level. Let's let's talk about a few things so people are really, really grounded in what the world sure. looks like today. So I don't know which of these you can speak to. I, I have a feeling you can probably speak to all of them. <laughs> but yeah. let's let's talk about let's start with the with the poverty line and like 
where that is today. W- what is considered below the poverty line? Can you? Is that something you can speak to? <laughs> I can. I feel like it's a, a number that holds little meaning because I just don't understand. I know what it's supposed to mean statistically, right. mathematically, but right. it doesn't mean anything in real life. But True. basically, twelve thousand, right under thirteen thousand. I think it's like twelve eighty or something like that for individuals. Is considered the poverty line, and then it scales up to like seventeen and a half thousand for two people, twenty-two thousand ish for three people, twenty-seven thousand or so for four, and it keeps going so on and so forth. The top number that they give is for a family of eight that the poverty line is forty-four thousand dollars annually. Yeah, I just think that's um, Asinine, but that that's a federally given number, and it's mostly used like there's differences between the poverty threshold mm-hmm. and poverty guidelines, and both are kind of one is used more for statistical purposes, and the other is used to kind of determine what services or assistance you're eligible for. I was just about so to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so the reason why the number is so low is because they want to give more people opportunity to be declared impoverished right. um, to qualify for services effectively. Right. Right. So if they made that number higher, then less people, less people would qualify, qualify for services. Yeah. yeah. And that, so. that answers the next question. Because I was going to ask, like, why do we have a poverty line, right? Because yeah, my opinion point? is people who are <laughs> underneath it and, and people who are over it, right? They know they still, their struggle already, mm-hmm. no matter where that exactly. line is. That's their life. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. let's talk about average income of a of a black American family versus a white mm-hmm. American family. Yeah, I mean let's okay. So let's let's talk about the US as a whole first. The US right. as a whole Break says the, the median um statistic the median income or annual mean wage uh for a full time salary worker is fifty three thousand right at fifty three four ninety mm-hmm. per year or one thousand and twenty eight dollars per week. For a forty-hour work week, got it. The black um, median household income is forty thousand dollars, or was in the last census, which was done in two thousand nineteen. Basically, mm-hmm. published in two thousand nineteen. So they don't update this as often as I think they should because there's much more. There's quicker ways to get this data, right? But anyway, the last reputable source to report on it said that uh, black families earned about forty thousand. Uh, versus white families who earned about sixty eight thousand, and Asian families who earned about eighty one thousand. Wow! So we were below the line, um, whereas uh, white families are just above it, and and Asian families significantly above it. Wow! So yeah, um, and so also the other thing to consider that that was so I, I want to tie the two to six statistics together. The first number I gave you was the median wage, $53,490. That's the median wage, right? The median household income for the U.S. is $59,000. So think about that. That means every household has just about one full-time worker. Right. That's what it's saying, effectively. Right. And then Black families had less than that, which means we don't even have a full-time worker in a household. Mm. In every household, there's not one full-time employee worth of income in every Black household. It's a hell of a breakdown. Wow. It's sad. It's 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 troubling. And a lot of times, I think about, I, I mean, I live in Atlanta. You live in, in Atlanta. And one of the 
statistics that blows me is that we have like the highest percentage of fully employed homeless people. Like 40 hours a week, homeless. Yeah, Atlanta has, last time I checked, this is a recent statistic that came out during COVID um, because they were talking about just homelessness in general and that we have the highest population of homeless individuals who have jobs. How How does that work? It means they're earning so low and or the housing pricing is so, so high, high or scarce or scarce because it. it could just be scarcity also. Which also drives um, the cost that, up. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the demand is higher when the supply is therefore lower and they yeah. can't afford it. And so a lot of um, individuals experiencing homelessness are having to kind of shower at the gym and go to their full-time jobs. And that wow. that's the a way of life for a lot of people. People are living in cars. And um, Atlanta also has a little bit of a facade problem that I think contributes to that. And in the, in the keeping up with the Joneses is multiplied by a thousand in Atlanta. Um, especially because it's, it's the black Mecca. So it's like, as a black person, you don't want to be seen as impoverished in Atlanta yep. when Atlanta is the place known for us winning. You yep. know, And that has a mental kind of stigma attached to it for people not wanting to get the help they need or just live within their means yeah. in Atlanta, which easily leads to homelessness. Yeah, you don't um, want to be the one brother others. or sister who came here and, yeah. didn't, and didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, and didn't make it. Yeah, but you're not the one. That's yeah. the problem is yeah. that you, you are being very short-sighted if you think that you're not the one. Right. There are plenty and there's simple ways to kind of avoid that, even as simple as just cohabitation, yeah. you know, cohabitation with purpose. And if you think about what other families do, like other families don't let their children move out super young. They yeah. stay with their parents until they're really able to buy a home. So they're not contributing to the rent market as much. They're going straight into kind of an equity position and yeah. purchasing something. Yeah, you're right. That's one of the things that I, I think I love in seeing in other cultures. Um, I've opened myself up to, as a financial advisor or just even as a friend, to other cultures, I've seen how they don't have that stigma of yeah. you not being quote unquote grown because you live with your parents yeah. or you live with whatever. It's considered a strategy, like yeah. you're making a move. And also the grandparents are taking care of the kids, helping around the house while our generation is out working and earning. They're, everybody has a role and it's yeah. truly a village atmosphere. And yeah. I want us to go back to that. We say a lot about the village, but sometimes we don't really uh, fully embrace what the village could mean. That's so true. That is so true. If if we found a way to partner and work together, whether that was brothers and sisters, mothers right. and sons, full on families, Whatever. the the power yeah. we would have in in, in saving and in investing and in, in acquiring real mm-hmm. estate and wealth, we could go so much further if we if we would do it yep. together. Yeah. Wow. Agreed. All right. So the the last question I want to ask around this kind of baseline information is let, let's talk about the the concept of of living check to check, right? Is there a significant part Mm -hmm. of our community or the country at large that is truly living Mm -hmm. check to check? And what does that mean? I would say yes. Um, I think there needs to be more research. I don't want to quote most of the research that is available now because to me it's outdated. Gotcha. With the pandemic, that's just not, um, it's not updated to me. I think the pandemic made a huge sway in that. One thing I did take note of, though, was during the pandemic, about 14% of Black people under 35 took money out of or borrowed against their retirement savings account. Wow. Um, whereas compared to white Americans, that's only 4%. So 
So there's a significant difference. And so what that implies to me is that those individuals were living check to check yeah. because as soon as it got to a position of um, not getting a check, they, they immediately had to fund. borrow against. Yeah, they had yeah. to hit that as their emergency fund. And just imagine that for a lot of people, most people, if they had like a 401k or something like that, they have tapped out their savings first and yeah. then came there. So the number that had to go into their savings is probably even higher than the number who then went into their retirement fund. You're right. Because the retirement fund is kind of even like a second tier um, to that kind of savings um, buffer that we have. And then I think, so other thing I want to say really quick that basically- yeah, this is your show. You ain't got to be yeah. quick. Tell your story. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Yeah, I just, because I want to set the baseline. There's a there's a wealth gap. That's the real um, problem is that we experience such a, a different level of wealth. So wealth in definition is just the difference between your household's assets and your household's debt mm-hmm. or your net worth is another way of considering that. And I think we can get into some holistic concepts around that. But the most recent surveys of Americans said that you need to have a net worth of about $2 million or $1.9 million to be exact. Um, to feel wealthy, to be considered wealthy. Um, that's a Charles Schwab survey of people that said that's what they need. Um, millennials tend to feel like we need a little less money, like 1.4 million, and baby boomers are at the top thinking that we need about 2.5 million. And that's, that also leads you to talk about um, kind of our mental attachment to money. Yeah. Millennials are definitely becoming less attached to material things, but even millennials need $1.4 million to be considered, or $1.4 million in wealth right. to be considered wealthy. Um, when you look at like 2016, the net worth of a typical white family was 10 times greater than that of a black family. The Damn. net worth of a typical white family was $171,000. And a black family was 17,000. Heartbreaking. Like black median income in 2019 was our medium wealth was 24,000 and whites was 7.8 times higher, 188K. Wow. And the other thing that I think about is in 2020, white people represented 60% of the population of the United States, but accounted for 84% of the nation's wealth. So they are significantly over-indexing there disproportionate and right. And black people accounted for 13.4% of the population and only 4% of the wealth. So it's just, it's not, it's not on par. At very minimum, it should be close to the same percentages of the population that we represent. Yeah. Wow. So to set the foundation that that's where, that's where we start. It's like closing this wealth gap and it comes at us from a different, a lot of different angles, right? Race, gender, age, um, career and profession choice, like all of the location. There's so many different factors in this. But yes, to answer your original question, I would say easily 30, 40% of the world is living check to check. Um, and our underemployment rates will, will speak to that. Like we're mostly underemployed. Wow. I, I love, one, your ability to convey that information and tell that story. But it is so heartbreaking 
to hear the numbers and understand them to mm-hmm. be true. And it really does put me in the mindset of like how, and we don't have to go into this. This is a whole other episode, but just mm-hmm. the, the thought of like, how do we really correct that? Right. Yeah. Where do we, where do we start and, and how do we mm-hmm. get our people on board and engage and how do we reduce the distraction that that's out there strategically to keep us unengaged? We, let, me, let me stop because we go down that rabbit hole all day long. And you're right. And I'm with you because <laughs> I feel like that too. Like it, it, it grinds my gears. Oh. It's what motivates me, but it's also what disheartens me. It has kind of a duplicitous effect. Like yeah. I'm kind of just sitting here between one extreme and the other sometimes when I'm looking at the statistics. Like yeah. on the one hand, I want to look at the statistics and know the facts because I feel like if you don't know what's happening, you cannot have any clue Absolutely. or any um, true impact on how to fix it. But then knowing what it is makes you so sad sometimes that it's hard to actually execute on the plan. Yeah. So um, it's just like going to the gym for me. I don't like it, but I know the end result yeah. of, of me going consistently is a better body, is a healthier yeah. me. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep going to war, just like you're going to keep going to war um, for our people. We're going to keep showing up and keep exercising and keep giving the knowledge um, that we can. And you're right. I, I want us to get to a point where we sit down and have a collective discussion about our wealth because, you know, you and I have talked about this, understanding like our, our wealth also being tied to our education and, yes. and the cycle that yeah. that has. Like the wealthy are more educated, the educated are more wealthy. Yeah. And right now it's kind of like we have to determine which side of the cycle we're attacking or choose to um, make a plan to attack both sides, right? So yeah. if, if you take wealth, I'll take education and know that we have a plan that does not contradict one another, yeah. basically. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. day I'm looking for. That is absolutely Me what I'm too. looking for. All right, so we, we've kind of talked about this this baseline of this, this benchmark. So now on the on the other side, for those who are exceeding or who are planning towards exceeding, what what does financial security or being financially responsible? What does that really mean? Like, is is that the goal that people should have? Yeah. So I think, my opinion, financial security is a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's knowing that you have a plan for your money. Um, financially responsible is working that plan. It's mm, like, like being accountable to the plan. So security is is knowing to ha- is having the plan and responsibility is working the plan. And so I feel like neither of those is directly tied to the dollars and cents, right? Neither right. of those is tied to how much you make. Right. It's about what you plan to do with what you make. Yeah. It's about your plan to make more. You know, it's 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 the plan. That's security. Me having a plan is the best feeling that I could ever have for yeah. me. And I think for most people, if you have directions, you're much more likely to get where you're going than if you just kind of fumble and bumble around. So um but yeah, so I think that you, the other thing that we have to think about is like making sure that we don't have a uh, shame attached to our, mm. our finances, right? Disconnect that shame from your finances. Seek the help, find the resources, ask for assistance, um, and do those with a plan and an end in mind. Like having the plan means you know where you need help. You know where you're going to struggle, whether that be knowing the timing of it or knowing how you're going to struggle, like how the the insecurity will show up. So mm-hmm. are you insecure in like financial resource, meaning 
I need more money to pay my rent, literally. Yeah. Or are you insecure about how much you should be spending on rent? Those are different discussions. Yeah. But identifying that insecurity and addressing it is um, important. And knowing that like resources are like a lifeline, not a lifetime. Oh, right? I love it. So whatever you're getting, you know, remember, it's a lifeline. It's supposed to save you in a moment. It's not supposed to be something you hold on to forever. You can't keep floating out there in the ocean holding on to that buoy forever. You got to yeah. learn to swim. I love that. So, I, I talk to people about being strategic and, and I'm really careful mm-hmm. because in my opinion, that word strategy and being strategic is either very overused or on the verge of being overused and always misunderstood. And the way I explain it absolutely. to people is that when you are strategic, when you are building a strategy, it's the combination of a couple of things. It's actually an equation to me. It is the fact that mm-hmm. not only do you know what your destination is, but you know, or at least familiar with the options and the routes to get there, along mm-hmm. with the resources that you'll need to consume and acquire as you move mm-hmm. through that route in order to get there. The help part comes in if you do not have the dollars or the know-how to get from where you are to where you need to be then you need to ask someone. And that's the important part that I really want people to understand. There is nothing wrong with putting your hand up and saying, hey, my team, my community, I need help. Yeah. And you can be specific. You can tell them where you need help and you should open yourself up to the people whom you trust to plug in the places that you don't know you need help. Right. That is so right. critically important, especially financially, because they are not tapping us on the shoulders and say, turn around, Negroes. We got the secrets for you. You got to go dig nah. them up. And, and accept help in forms that may not look how you expect. Yes. Right. Because that's that's the thing. Sometimes we may literally be looking to give horse in the mouth. Right. There may be somebody telling us something, giving us something, and we can't quite understand um, why they chose to give it to us. Number one, ask. You know, if somebody gives you something or does something, you're not clear on how they attach that as what you needed. Ask them. They they will probably help you to understand. But also sometimes um, you're getting help that is, I guess I'd say, like seeing a few steps down the road for you. Sometimes people have been here where you are or where you're going and they may be giving you a tool that you'll need three or four steps down the road yep. and you discarded it on step one because you're like, I don't need this. Yep. And you don't realize when you get to step four, like, no, oh, that's what that's what I needed. My nieces watch um, The Floor is Lava, right? Yep. And I love this show because there are moments where you're like trying to figure out what you need to do in the room. And it may not be something you need to do to get from point A to B. But it's between point A and B. And you're like, well, I got to decide, do I do this now? And if you don't do it, when you get to like point D, now you're stuck and you're drowning in the lava and you can't go back and recoup the time that you lost when you should have just done it on the way. So it teaches a couple of things that I hope they get is, you know, don't take shortcuts, investigate your options while you have the chance to. And, and do uh, make sure you take with you all the help that you get along the way. Ooh, you know, it. don't just chuck it out the window. So I, mean, I hope that I when they're watching it, because that's what I see when I see it. I'm sure it's probably real fun for them, but I see a lot more strategy yeah. um, in that show than I'm sure they intended. I love it. When people mm-hmm. are on this journey, what are the primary things 
And we can talk very large holistically, whether that is budgeting or, or a plan or, or, or a financial mentor or, or, or guidance. But what are the, the primary things that you think people need to pull together in this toolbox? I mean, I feel like you answered your own question in saying that, like literally, you know, a plan, uh, failing to plan is a plan to fail, right? Mm. Isn't that what they say? I don't know how that that saying goes. That's how I remember it. Um, So to me, that relates even to having a budget or not having a budget. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. I know people who make well into the six figures in an economy that doesn't really take that in in a demographic that doesn't even require six figures to be comfortable. And they are living more check to check than individuals I know that make half what they make. Yeah. Um, and we we talked about this. I had a, a guy friend who was making half of what I made, but was living better than I was just yeah. because we were making different decisions with our money. Um, and we didn't have, I did not have long range plans for my money. So um, I would say a budget number one and resources. So if you're the person who needs to have a one-on-one mentor, I highly advise you do that. If you're a person who is good at researching and deciphering through what's really good information and, and, you know, understanding sources, right? Secondary sources, primary sources. When you look at research, especially in this world, knowing what type of resources you can trust. Um, So looking that up and being able to find data that you can trust. If that's not your strong suit, then get you a financial advisor or someone who can at least help you plan. Um, and it might even just be, it may not even be someone in a professional space as a financial advisor. It could be a friend or a family member that you trust yeah. that you see is doing well. And that's the critical part. You see them doing well, <laughs> not just you think they're doing well, but like they're willing to show you evidence, numbers, proof that mm. it's going well. Or, you know, you need to basically be around people who are doing the things that you want to do, uh, who are aligning with where you're trying to go financially because that's your roadmap. You know, even if they don't lay out every single step for you, what they will do is nudge you even subconsciously, right? They may not even know they're doing it sometimes. It's just inherent. If you really care about somebody and you see them going left, you're going to nudge them in the right direction. You're not going to let your kids run in the street with the cars coming. If I care about them, I'm going to make sure they, you know, get back on the sidewalk. But that's what we do in our friend circles. That's what we should be doing in our families is making sure that if I know better, let me tell you now, if you continue to run into that street, you know, <laughs> it's your feet, it's your street. That's but it. I'm going to do my best to to tell you what I know and show you what I know. Um, so, yeah, a budget, you know, having a plan and having the right people around you and the right resources and information around you. And that really doesn't matter. Rich people need budgets, too, or wealthy people need budgets, too. Yeah. So there's no exemption because you make a lot of money. Well, budget seems to be one of the bigger themes coming out. So let's kind of let's let's dig into that if you don't mind. Let's do it. Very simply put, right? And and this may feel trivial or, or or juvenile, but I think it's important for people to start here and hear this. What is a budget, and why is it so important? And I, again, I know that is seemingly juvenile for a lot of people, but I, I really want to make no, sure that people listen it. listening get the whole message. Yeah. I mean, it, a budget is a tool, you know, money is a tool. Um, and so you're basically taking the budget is kind of the instructions for how to use the tool. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, money being the tool. How am I going to use this money to attain whatever it is that I want to attain, whether that be a goal specific thing or an item, um, you know, whatever it is that you're striving for, 
you intrinsically should tie that to your budget. And I, I say this to people even in a corporate space, right? So I did a lot of corporate budgeting um, for, for large entities. Ultimately, whatever you say your strategic focus areas are, your goals and objectives are, they should be tied to or in, in intertwined into your budget. You can't have people spending money on um, buying new assets if your plan is to become lean and green, right? Yeah. They don't align. Yeah. So really the budget is kind of connecting the dollars and cents to what your overall strategy is, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So mm. putting it in a very tangible way for some people that's that's monthly, that's weekly, daily for the people who real OCD. Wow. But you know, you just have to get to a place where you're planning the the dollars and cents to align with your overall goal. So that that is what a budget is and why it is important. Um at least for me. I can't <laughs> live sense. without my budget. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm going to jump in to the shoes of a potential listener. And I'm going to say, Ensa, I mm-hmm. tried it one time. I hated it. It didn't mm-hmm. work for me. I, I was constricted. Mm-hmm. I couldn't buy the things I wanted to buy. Like budgeting, I'm sure. It just doesn't work for me. I gave it that shot one time. It didn't work. What do you tell that person? Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, that's a good one. So, do you play sports? Yep. Okay. Um, what sport do you love? Mm, basketball. What age do you think you got good at playing basketball? Like, when, when do you think you were good? Were you just innately good, or did it come no. from some time? Let's say, uh, as this guest... I've been playing since I was young, but I hit a growth spurt my 10th grade in high school, and, and that's when I got really good. That's when I got competitive, 10th grade. Okay, cool. So I feel like with most sports, you attend practice before mm-hmm. any of your games, right? Yep. And every time you go to a game and you see what you did well or did not do well, you go back into practice right. um, and improve upon it and come back out and play again. Yep, I work that's on that the same. Yep. Yeah. So for me, that that it's no different. That same mindset that you apply to playing a sport or even, you know, working out in the gym, you didn't always do it well. It wasn't always easy, but you definitely cannot stop um, just because it didn't go well. Right. You got to try again. You got to practice, um, take notes for what went well, what didn't go well and go back and do it again. Yeah. So that that's the first thing I'm going to say is like, you know, the the fact that you tried it once and it didn't work really is um, it's a, a mental roadblock that you've set in front of yourself that you need to remove because that's not how budgets work. They are ongoing. They require modification. They require customization. There is no one size fits all budget. Now, to that end, that's probably why it felt limiting or constricting is because it wasn't your budget. It wasn't the right budget for you. Oh. Once you get it right, a budget should feel like, like I said, just a tool. It's a means to an end. It should not make you feel constricted in any way. Um, it should just give you clarity. Um, it is also not what frees you. So I, I don't want people to think like having a budget, I feel free. I mean, that's fine if that's what it makes you feel, right. but it really should be neither because it is just a tool. Um, How you feel is how you feel. And we should separate that because that's important. But the budget itself, let's not attach any feelings to the budget. Let's figure out what's not working in the budget and change it. 
you know, and make it work for you. There are a lot of methodologies. We, we can go into that if you want the methodologies of, of kind of budgeting. But even that, I've blended. Throw some of them out. Give yeah, some so, research, I mean, some homework. Yeah, the homework, homework. There's a lot of them. So I, I tend to stick to a few um, kind of key ones. So zero-based budgeting, and basically that just means that you plan every single dollar. Every dollar has a purpose. Um, and you know effectively what every dollar is going to do before uh, it even comes to you. So there's no money left in every budget, you know, in every in every uh, pay period, right. however you want to look at that. And, and that could be that I allocate a line to savings, I, I, I allocate a line to Absolutely. grocery, to my investing, Absolutely. to rent, mortgage, yeah. car, everything. Every, every dollar everything. is accounted for. Every single dollar is accounted for. Now, this this is the approach that I feel some people take without knowing it. Um, and it is, it does feel constricting because, you know, you get to the end and you're like, oh God, I got 75 cents over. I'm gonna just, <laughs> you know, because you're like trying to get it, you know, to the penny because of the nature of how zero-based budgeting works. And sometimes that's the mindset that people take without even realizing it, that they've tried to take their salary and, and account for every dollar in every bucket, you know, and I'm just like that, that for me doesn't work right. and I'm an accountant. So right. imagine that I'm looking at my money every day and I still do not believe in zero based budgeting for me. Right. Now, there are some individuals who literally need to assign a purpose to every dollar because mentally they need to know I can't go do X, Y and Z because I have literally said my money is going to whatever. Right. You know, I know some people who are parents and when they think about the things they have to pay for for their children the motivation of that dollar being assigned to something for their children allows them to stay more focused on it. Mm. So it really just depends on the motivation and the person's um, feelings about right. you know their lifestyle. Um, another one is is savings oriented, which I think people call like the pay yourself first budget. That's kind of what it's called, um, and I think that's good too. Again, it comes down to like your emotional space and what your goals are. If you are pretty stable. Otherwise, and your goal is to increase your savings, then yeah, a pay yourself first budget is a way to go to make sure that like, instead of trying to figure out what to cut, go ahead and just take your haircut off the top. Take your $100, $200 every pay period or however you want to you know, do it and set that to the side and then everything else, figure out what to do with it. You know, And that is freeing for some people in that they are able to save, but then aren't micromanaging themselves with all of the rest of it. So they've accomplished a goal, which is saving more and that feels good. Right. And I tell people sometimes this is where you start because if you don't have an emergency fund, um, then the rest of what you want to do in terms of investing and other things for wealth acquisition won't matter because one emergency will wipe you out. Yeah. So some people need to start with the pay yourself first approach or the savings based approach to just accumulate an investment fund or a savings account. Um, that gives them like the cushion. So, and and it, it helps for people to say like, I want to have at least three months of savings, um, uh, three months worth of my monthly expenses saved. Take that and divide it by however many pay periods you have. If it's 12, 26, 24 right. pay periods in a year and say, okay, every pay period, I need to take this amount and just put it in my savings account. Well, then one year, you would have met your savings goal and next year we can focus on something else and we mm. may change how we approach your budget. I like that. I like that. I like that. All right. So I'm, I'm going to jump into, was, was there another one? Yeah. The other one that I really like is percentage-based budgeting and that's just kind of very high level bucket. I think that's a, 
um, responsible way to do it if you can manage your money. Mm-hmm. And it's just breaking things down in percentages. So the typical is like 50, 30, 20. Right. 50 being spent on what is necessary. So necessities, 30% on like your discretionaries and then 20% on savings or debt. I wonder That's where typical I fall. breakout. Yeah, so that the to me, what's fun about that one is I don't like to call it, some people call it like the 50, 30, 20 budget. I don't call it that. I call it percentage-based budgeting because you may choose to add a few more buckets on here and you may choose to tweak these yeah. percentages to accomplish certain things. Yeah. So to me, percentage-based budgeting is easy in that you just determine what is absolutely necessary, what is discretionary, and what is saving debt, and then tweak your percentages to match your goals. Hmm. I actually really like that one. That's my favorite. <laughs> All right. So I need to put my disclaimer out here because my wife is going to listen to this. Um, okay. I am not talking about you, wife. This, I repeat, <laughs> is not about you, dear wife. This is not about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I am stepping into the shoes of a listener, dear wife. This is not okay. personal. <laughs> now that that's out there, because she would yes. she would confront me. She like, hey. listen in and be like, now what you said about me? Exactly. You exactly. said about my mama? <laughs> So we're we're talking about budgets and, and building a budget yep. percentage based zero budgeting based. It was, it was, did I get the right zero? Mm-hmm. Zero based budgeting. Z- mm-hmm. I had the I had the right words wrong order. Wrong order. Right. But all good. But but now right how, how again I'm I'm a listener wife. How <laughs> do I get my partner? How do I get my spouse on board? Because I get it. I'm down. I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. assign these dollars and I'm trying to build. How do I get my partner on board? Because he or, or she ain't there yet. Yeah, I think this comes down to a couple of different things. Um, people are raised differently. Um, people have different attitudes towards money and budgets in general and different levels of experience with that. So I think it goes back to some of the things that you and I, you and I, a podcaster, it's not listener dear, have done. <laughs> and, and that is talk about the education of it, right? Yeah. So like really... I, I start with education. Let's talk about um, financial literacy as a whole together and have conversation. Let's be transparent about our thoughts towards bu- budgets and money. Some people spend out of a, a place of lack. You yeah. know, they're so used to not having that they spend because it makes them feel like they have. And so, or that they've made it or whatever and they're keeping up with the Joneses, right? So you got to address that. Um, I also would say, consider the your thoughts on gender roles. Right. That's been a big one lately is really talk about these gender roles and what you believe is expected from that place and what is fair and equitable. Uh, And and in that, being cautious to be very transparent about what you and your partner believe are gender roles specific in your house and not what society deems. Yeah. Um, to be the right thing, right? Because that's, I think, where we go left a lot of times is we got a lot of other people in our pocket um, instead of having the individual who's actually in the house with you in yeah. the pocket. Yeah. Um, and lastly, getting a neutral third party, right? That's what I, I my go-to is like, have a, par- a person who does not love you or the other person more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be sometimes a financial advisor, sometimes just really anybody that you know knows money that can sit down and say, these are the numbers. These are the facts, period. Um, one of my good friends, uh, Sharita, was talking about how a married couple came to her during the pandemic, and she was explaining to them that they need to cut costs. And what was interesting is that they both 
um, agreed, but did not agree on what to cut. Yeah. And in the end, she ended up telling them they were both right and both wrong, basically. Like, you need to cut both of those things. Both of you are right about the things you need to cut because uh, they both need to go. You know, it's not, I like you more, so we keep your thing. No, they both yeah. need to go. Um, so having a neutral third party to help you formulate a budget and knowing, you know, having similar goals for the budget. Again, yeah. like you can't have um, a goal of savings in this year and her goal is asset acquisition. That's not going to work. Yeah. Like you over here trying to save money and she trying to buy property. They're not the same goals. <laughs> they're so, not the same goals. Uh, they're not. I mean, wealth wise, you know, they may lead you into the same place in terms of net wealth. But again, are you focused on wealth? Are you focused on cash flow? Yeah. Are you focused on, you know, preparing for a trip or whatever it is, you got to have the same goals. Yeah. So if you share a household with somebody and you're sharing finances with somebody, you got to share goals um, and be aligned with what your, your goals are um, in the household Makes to sense. start with. So, so what, what about this listener? I don't care how mm-hmm. hard I try. I mean, I, I've tried every type of budget there is. <laughs> and every single month, there's something new. A kid expense, house repairs, the, the car breaks mm-hmm. down. My mother-in-law needs some money. My, my, my brother got arrested. Like, no matter how damn hard I try every month, there's something that just blows my budget. What am I to do? Yep. I love this one. This was me, honestly. Um, so I created the thing I call the all-shit budget. All-shit bitch budget. <laughs> so... What I did, you and I'm so serious. This I believe is literally it. I believe it. In my spreadsheet, oh shit, bitch, but that's what it was. <laughs> so what I I started to do was, and it goes back to what I said earlier about your budget being kind of a living, breathing, changing thing. So yeah. I started to track every month, like how much was all shit. Like, dang, I ain't even. All right, cool. So the, the first thing I started to realize was like, okay, that's about ten percent of my income, or. of my income or 7%, whatever it is. I don't know what it's going to be. But historically, all the things that were unplanned for equated to about X. And I just started keeping up with that as an average. And I just created a line item for all shit. It was just in the budget like that. So when I would talk to my financial advisor, he'd be like, what's this? I mean, the more eloquent (laughs) term is like slush fund, discretionary funds. I mean, we can come up with whatever. But for me, it was like, oh, shit, this again, like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) But anyway, all shit fund, put it in the budget. And as you start to get more familiar with what your all shits are, determine if those things are ongoing things that are likely to repeat themselves. And if so, add them as a specific row in the budget. Or... Determine if those things are things you need to start avoiding somehow. Like, are you doing this <laughs> to yourself? Like, you know, and so I've always kept like a buffer, an all shit budget. Now my all shit is down to about 1%. You know, it's a very low percentage because for the most part, I've either made those things permanent parts of my budget right. or I've removed myself from situations that lead to all shit. A lot of mine was like going out in Atlanta, <laughs> get my car booted. Like, I was getting booted. Like, I was like, God oh, damn. You're in like, the parking lots. You know you know how right. they do around like, here. Right. I'm like, I play too much. I was two minutes over. I'm coming. Booted. So, you know, I've gotten a lot of those tickets. And then my all shits would get bad because I get pissed at getting a ticket and not pay the ticket. And now I got to pay the ticket plus the fee. <laughs> like, 
or Atlanta traffic makes me angry. So sometimes I'm going to just hit this toll lane knowing I ain't got no toll pass. So I just, <laughs> you know, I'm just out here being a real Georgia peach. Just doing whatever. <laughs> like, we don't abide by traffic laws. What are those? So that was part of my, and I have super speeded tickets. Please, I hope my mama don't listen to this. Like, <laughs> I shot her insurance through the roof. She probably had an all shit budget for me. But I just... <laughs> I just tell people, like, because you don't know when you're going to get a speeding ticket. I know I speed every day. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, on average, I was getting a speeding ticket two or three times a year at one point. Ooh. I just started putting it in a budget. I mean, Ooh. at this point, I'm much better. That was in my 20s, but Ooh. I'm telling you, I got hit with that one super speed. It was $700, and I was like, okay, what? I'm going to have to, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to slow down. I'm going to have to slow it down. Yeah, my ex was the police officer, and he'll tell me in a minute, like, you you are the worst. Like, I can't get you out of no more tickets. You, you on the list. Huge. <laughs> wow. You, ma'am, deserve those tickets. So. I love what I heard in there. Outside of the, the mm-hmm. fun around the tickets. One of, the, one of the main things I heard was analyze your numbers. Look back mm-hmm. at your history. Understand what your oh shit moments look like. Assign a mm-hmm. value and plan against that. Yep, I that's love it. That. I that's love it. That. And, and being accountable to your oh shit, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it was it preventable. You know, this is totally within. And once you see it in black and white, you know, what it was that drove you over your number, you can determine how much of that was within your control. And even within a um, a household, right? When you're looking at that together, is it something coming from the kids? Do we need to approach this differently? Is it yeah. something stemming from one spouse or the other? Is it the both of us? Is it something we enjoy and we need to keep doing this? Like one of the things that I, I budget for in a lot of families is like self-care. You know, I started adding massages and therapy appointments yeah. to people's budgets. Those are things people don't think about, but add these co-pays in here. Yeah. And also it gives you a, a moment to strategize how to get rid of those costs, like analyzing your health insurance selections. Like, have you chosen the health insurance that affords you the best access throughout the year? Are you maximizing those deductions at the end of the year? So maybe it's an odd shit, but it's an odd shit that you'll get back as a tax yeah. refund. Yeah. Like really considering... Um, all of the different options and have you taken advantage of all the options. And that's another thing that a budget makes you do. It makes you really consider, have I chosen the best options? For me, it made me think like, do I want to keep, like in my business budget, it made me think, do I want to keep paying rent for this amount? Is this what I want to do? Because I'm building no equity in doing this. So every time I put that number in the slot for the month, I was like, "Mm, I really rethink this. So to (laughs) me, it's also just kind of a, a visual checkpoint of like money going down a drain. Yeah. You know, where is it going? I love how you made mention of putting in like the self-care or or even the indulgent items. I, I think people Absolutely. may at times feel like I'm cheating on my budget if I even write these in. But I think the reality is if mm-hmm. you don't plan it against them, they're going to sink you. Yeah, you're going to drown. Yeah. I mean, I had a budget. When I tell you I had a budget that scheduled how many times a month I got my nails done? How many times a month I got my hair done? Yeah. Um, whether or not I had a gym membership. People thought I was being, you know, really extra. And I have female friends that I know them. So when we sit down and do their budget in a professional space, they want to act like I don't know them. And I'm like, ma'am, <laughs> those bundles are $600 in your hair. You better budget and I know for them. that getting them installed 
was probably another $300. Okay, cool. You're going to be able to keep those bundles for one year. So in January, you're going to need to put another $600 in bundles. Like that's literally the level of discussion that we have to get to. Yeah. Um, even with men, I know you like nice shoes. You, my, my brother, I hope you're not listening, loves Jordans. <laughs> loves. like So every time a new pair would drop. So when we made his budget, I was like, look, I need you to look at all this. Go ahead and Google the drops coming up in the next quarter. And, and however Jordans. many drops they are, we're going to put $500 per drop aside and see whether or not that works in your budget. If it doesn't, you're going to have to decide, okay, maybe I can only do one drop or two drops. I can't do all of them. I got to decide. But go ahead and look at those things. Plan it out. Be real with yourself. And it it feels like the reality here is much like a prayer. You put in your budget the things that are important to you, right? Yeah. To make sure that you are truly accounting for all of your outlays, all the money that's coming out of your pocket. And be be honest with yourself and your budget, right? Yeah, and don't cheat yourself. You you are setting yourself up to fail. Um, and and it's, it's strange to me sometimes because in reality, most times the only person who's going to see this budget is you. Right. Or someone who you paid to see it with you. So they don't have any impression of you. This is not connected to who you are as a person. It's not a tool to judge you. Yeah. It's not a barometer by which you fail or, or succeed as a human. It is a tool to help you succeed as a human. It's not the buy all end all. Like what's yeah. in it? I can guarantee you millionaires are budgeting for their trips. They're budgeting for their indulgences in their cash flow because it's things they enjoy. It's what makes them happy. And happiness has to be a part of your budget. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. You if you don't start your prayer with giving honor to God who is the head of my life, that's okay. <laughs> you start yeah. your prayer you start the way you, you want. Like. Yeah. Do yeah. your budget the same way. I be, tell people but be start honest. what's important. Yeah, people can start whatever's important to them. Like if you know, if, if having a an apartment isn't that important to you because you're at an age where you can go live with your mama, okay, let's start with what is important with yeah. you. Let's start with the car. Let's start with the food. You like eating out? Cool. If your mom, at one point, my mom told me you can come home anytime you want to. Okay, cool. That made rent less important in my budget because I always felt like eh, I could just end this lease and go live with and my go mom. Home. That's real. Yeah. Just make, you know, make that a reality. Or if you're a household where your parents are like, I'll pay your car insurance, I'll pay whatever. Those things are less important in your budget. If you want to start incorporating them to become more financially responsible, then you do that. But you just have to be really yeah. honest with yourself in this yeah. budget. So another question, and, and then we'll, we'll move to the last few. But and, and this one, I, I hear a, a decent amount. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend the other day and and this came up. I was talking about my budget, and I, I have a I have a household budget. It's probably a combination mm-hmm. of a few that that you said. It's not it's not zero based because they're they're unassigned dollars at the end. I it's not percentage mm-hmm. based, but I know my percentage is roughly in some places. Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. his words to me were, dude, I don't I don't even make enough money to budget. Ain't shit left at the end of the month anyway. Why should I go through that process? That headache. Why should I get depressed when I see my numbers reflected back to me? What do you tell him? So. Number one, there's no such thing as not making enough money to not budget, right? Having no plan is for sure a plan to fail. And sometimes the budget is a way to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? So a lot of people, when I start talking about budgets, one thing that is not always clear is that you also should have a cash flow component. So cash flow is looking at the timing of the inflows and outflows. Mm -hmm. When do you get paid as compared to when do you need to pay something? 
So when I hear someone say that, it sounds to me like a timing thing. So once you take the budget and tell me all the things that you need to spend, I'm going to start then asking you, when do you need to spend them versus when do you get paid? So when I first started, um, I had a budget that basically aligned to my pay periods. So I had 26 periods in my budget because I had 26 paychecks in the year. Right. That was how I did it, period. So I started to see that like I was having trouble because all of the bills were due like in one check and the second check. I didn't have a lot of bills due, but I was like struggling to even make it to that check because right. the first check wiped me out, right? I didn't have any money for food or gas or anything because my rent and car insurance and car note all came out on the first. And the rest of the month just felt like a downhill battle, you know, or uphill battle, I should say, um, because of that. So that person sounds like the strategy would be to have discussions with your creditors and people that you need to pay to change that schedule. And then you can start to see like the light at the end of the tunnel, like, okay, there's a little bit of money left every two weeks. Now I see $20. I can put that to the side, start building up. Once I build up a little nest egg, now I'm going to change the schedule all the way. I'm going to get some of these things paid a month early so that I can really switch things up and have the timing be exactly what I'd like it to be. Funny enough, people don't know you can call people and ask them to change your due dates. Absolutely. They'll do it. Like within reason, most credit card companies will change your due date. You can get your car note changed to a different date, your car insurance changed to a different date. They all have spaces within reason because they've already built in a 15-day grace period. So yep. that implies that they can wait a little bit. They and they, and they want their money. <laughs> and they want their money, right. So at the end of the day, they don't want to deal with calling you for collections. That costs them money. Yeah. They don't want to have to keep retrying your car. That costs them money. All of that is administrative expense for them that they could avoid. If you were to just tell them, hey, when you try to charge me on the 7th, it ain't going to work. But if you hit me on the 16th, I got you. I got, I got you. them dollars for you. I got you. Like they, they, they're like, okay, cool. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people are struggling paying late fees. And, you know, I've even seen people paying their bills on their credit cards just because of timing. You ain't got to do that. Yeah. It's a simpler way. So my answer to him would be, we still need to make the budget because there's no amount of money too small or too large to have a plan for it. And that that plan should help him see a way out and see where there could be potential for improvements in the cash flow, in the spend, in the earnings, all of it. Yeah, he may I'm find some opportunities. Right, that's what I was about to say. I did a budget with somebody who didn't realize they were being underpaid. Like they had been given a raise and when we started looking at it, I was like, no, the salary that you tell me you make doesn't equate to these deposits that you're getting. Like even, you know, net taxes, net 401k, all of that. Something doesn't add up. I'm looking at your gross earnings. It doesn't mm. add up. Turns out it was a keystroke issue and he didn't even notice it. He just thought he was just more broke. He was wow. like, I just, you know, I make more, but I'm still, you know, in the same place. Well, you're not making, you. he was missing like $6,000 annually that I'm like, that's a big, that's a car note. That's $500 a month. That is. So, yeah. I'm so about I'm to go like, look at my employer just, like, yo, um, right. do you owe me some dollars? So sometimes a budget is just a checkpoint, right? It's just a really clear moment with yourself and with your spouse if necessary um, to make sure you're getting all the things. And for me, it also is a good time to cancel a bunch of subscriptions. So it makes you really check your priorities. It makes you see what you're spending money on. Every time I do my budget, I'm on the line about cutting this cable. You know, I mean, I live in the house by myself. I got seven TVs. I don't watch TV. (laughs) What is the point of this? 
So it just it's a it's a checkpoint. It's a plan, yeah. and you need it at, at all levels. No question. All right. What about what about tools? Right, budgeting tools. Mint is the one that mm-hmm. comes to mind for me. I know there are others. How do you feel about those? Are, are are they are they helpful? Is it more of a risk? Like what do you and, and, and just for information, my budget, I'm I guess I'm still probably too old school. Mine is an Excel spreadsheet that I've built with my own formulas and I do it my own way. But how how are these tools? I mean, I'm like you. Um, and that's just because I think sometimes tools have inherent biases in them. Mm-hmm. Um, the bias of the creators, the mindset of the creators and the developers. Um, so yes, they can be useful. I'm never going to say that they, they're not, but just know that anything other than what you kind of create for yourself right. is built on either like systemic thoughts of a greater population. And so let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? If we're talking about tools for Black people, mm-hmm. um, we do not represent a large enough percentage of the population for the tools to be specifically built for us. Mm. We also do not represent a large enough portion of the wealth mm. for the tools to be built for us. So to me, uh, none of them are really anything I'm going to specifically advocate for. Right. What I'd advocate for is you getting uh, an advisor that gives you specific resources to use for your situation. Um, and I, like you, have uh, Excel sheets. I have Google Sheets because at this point, I yep. can do some Google Sheets. The formulas are not that robust because, yep. you know, Google Sheets has limitations on formulas, but you can use a Google Sheet. There are plenty of good templates. Um, I would tell anybody, you guys can reach out to me on, on Instagram, on uh, pretty much on Instagram, or email me and I will send you tools, but I'm going to ask you some questions first right. about your situation and your level of comfort and knowledge with, with these things before I give you a recommendation. Um, to me, it's like going to the doctor. Everybody has asthma, but like their symptoms may display differently. And so what inhaler I choose to give you may be different based on what your triggers are, yeah. based on what those inputs are, right? So yeah. um, to me, a, a good old fashioned, you know, spreadsheet is is a way to go. Yeah. And Google Sheets is free, people. Amen so don't that. hit me with the, I got to pay for Microsoft. No, you don't. Google Sheets is free. You sure Please don't. Please go get you a Google Sheet. And there are free templates. There's a good budget template that shows you um, cash flow timing. It's monthly, but it has the categories in it that show you like your income from multiple sources, all your expenses. And then it produces a graph for you to show when you're going to have a a deficit in cash or surplus in cash. To me, that's invaluable. Somebody already did all the work to sit there and put the numbers in. I love it. And and listeners, just so you know, um, she mentioned contacting her. Check the episode description. All her information will be there and she'll go over it at the end of the episode as well. All right, I've got mm-hmm. two more questions for you. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Just take as many as you like. I'm here. <laughs> this next one is, is really about guidance. We've talked a lot about budget. We've talked about kind mm-hmm. of baseline and, and benchmarking. Um, you even talked about like the, the percentage rule, like the 50, 30, 20. Mm-hmm. But if we were to mm-hmm. take a, a step deeper in that, is there any guidance that you can give people on things like what percentage of my salary should my mortgage or rent equate to or my car yeah. or, or savings? And I, and I know it, this is a personal thing. It will shift and change. But are there rules of thumb that are healthy? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
So for me, it's 30% on housing. Um, and that to me should be kind of also including a bit of a buffer for housing maintenance. So um, if you're a homeowner, that may include putting a little bit aside for the water heater or the AC when it's going to go out. So to me, that 30% is all encompassing of um, your housing, homeowners insurance, renters insurance, um, any kind of buffer you need to maintain adequate housing. Um, 20% on other like necessities. So food, um, your car, uh, your car insurance, gas, just, you know, necessities, what you need to live should be the other, another 20%. Um, 30%, and this, this is one of those where I kind of flip these, 20 or 30. Discretionary funds, which is like going out to eat or going to events or traveling or things could be about 30% of your budget. Now, for some people, they put more in necessities. So they'll have 30% in necessities and 20% in discretionary. Right. I'm really ambivalent on which way you go. Just know that, you know, so far we got 30, 20, 30. How you split that up to you. The only hard and fast is really on the housing. Love it. And then a minimum of 20% um, in savings and or investing. Uh, 20% is not a lot uh, of money when you really get down to it. So I would tell people you can start with this as a guideline and then start tweaking the percentages um, to fit your situation and fit your goals. Because um, to me, if you can save on housing, for instance, then you can reallocate that into one of the other buckets, hopefully into a savings or an investing bu- uh, bucket. And lastly, in a two-person household, um, one rule of thumb that immediately changes in this whole scenario is 50% of that is saving. Mm. Period. Off top. So what happens when I start talking to married couples is we take 50% out period. So it's kind of that theory of living on one income, right? Yeah. I don't necessarily believe it has to be one income of the other because they may be a little bit unbalanced. One right. person may make quadruple what the other person makes, right? And then right. it's like, of course, we're going to live on the larger one and save the smaller one. That's that's cheating. That's too easy. Yeah. So for me, it comes down to live on 50% of what your household brings in. So now I start your 100% breakout after taking 50% off the top, Wow. if that makes sense. So say the it household does. makes 100K, I'm taking 50 off top. And then the other 50K, I'm splitting 30% in the housing, 20% in necessities, 30% on discretionary, 20% on savings. That's what we're doing. And I'm still not taking out that other 20% for savings and investing. Just because I put that 50 to the side doesn't change uh, anything about how I split the rest of it. So in effect, you're going to end up saving about 60 to 70% of your budget. That that becomes like the 50% off the top becomes your savings. And the 20% that was in the original numbers for savings and investing, that becomes your investing fund. That 20% is now your investing and you're safe because 50% of it has always been sitting in the bank. Yeah, I love that. And that also to me takes off that. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's the goal. Like to me, that's, that's the ultimate win is to be in a position where half of everything we earn, we don't touch. Yeah. We don't need. How much better so, would we be positioned if we were doing that? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, even if it, how much better would we be if that was just an objective, right? Yeah. Even if we never attained it, right? Yeah. Even if we never actually made it there, if that's what we were striving for mentally, like we'd be better off um, in yeah. that way. And I think for a two person household, it also alleviates this whole who pays what. Yeah. Um, when I talk to married couples, my mindset is like, 
you know, there's definitely some some tactical ways to do it, but put whatever the minimum amount of like household expenses are in one bank account. And y'all keep y'all separate accounts, that's fine, but there should be a household or a joint account and all of the money that needs to go there goes there from your account. Like, and that's it. You pay those bills. We're not worried about did you pay it or did I pay? No, yes. we paid it. And 50% of what we made is going, you know, into a savings account. Cool. There's got to be a we or why are we here? I love that. I love that. All right. I've got one last question for you. Let's do it. If, if life is a painting and at our disposal are all the tools to create amazing pieces of art, the canvas, the paintbrush, the colors, the pencils we use to outline, the, the easel that holds the art that we're creating, even the drop cloth then what tool in this tool belt would you consider budgeting or financial literacy or, or financial mastery mm. to be? That is, so I would consider budgeting to be the pencil, the outline, yeah. um, and specifically the pencil because you can erase it and change it and, and draw something different. Love um, I would consider the paintbrush and the painter, you know, to be you and your ability to really uh, master it. Um, like mastery to me is, is through the paintbrush. And the colors, um, the colors are just kind of the outcomes. The colors are are what we get to enjoy. They're the mm. beauty in between it all. Mm. Like they're the things that when we look back on our inheritance, on our wealth, um, on what we have left for our families or the moments that we've been able to create for ourselves and for our family, that's the color, right? And color can be extremely rich. Yeah. And I, we didn't talk about this, but I don't even believe in the word rich. I don't believe that as a, a financial term, but I believe it in a in a mindset term. You can mm. be rich in mindset um, and rich in moments, rich in memory. So, um, and, and collectively, it's the, the picture that we leave behind. Like our life as the canvas and the colors and things that we leave behind, that the pencil that's underneath it all when I peel back the colors, we get to leave that piece of art on the wall for our family, right? They can always look at what we created as motivation. They can always dissect it to see the outline and how we got there. They can always understand that every piece of my canvas was colored. I did all I could to cover all the bases and live the richest life that I could come up with. Right. So, yeah, to me, it's just it's it's all a work of art, but that the budget is for sure um, the outline and the, the easel to me, if we want to really take it all the way there, <laughs> the easel is uh, the financial advisors, the mentors that stand up and hold you mm. and really make sure that you're good um, on the way. Right. And the drop cloth to me is the people around you that are catching the paint that you spin off. Like Those are the people that are around you, seeing you succeed, the people you inspire are that drop cloth, right? Sometimes I think we see the drop cloth as like a disposable, discardable thing, but it's still a work of art. You'll sometimes see splatters on a drop cloth that are just as beautiful as the art we created. It's very different, but it's just as beautiful as the art we created. And so, you know, I think about like when I'm painting, because I, I paint, so this really works for me. But when, when I'm painting, the one place that you'll never see paint on my drop cloth is the spot where I was standing, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means for me is I can share my drops of paint with all these people without them ever being able to stand in my spot. 
period. Mm. So what's meant for me is meant for me. I don't have to keep this knowledge or this paint or this color to myself. Whatever I have, I can share of it freely. I can drop it freely and nothing will ever be exactly where I was standing. Never. So to me, like all of it matters. Drop those pieces of paint, share with other people, let that easel hold you up. Let those resources, financial advisors, ancestors hold you up so you can be in the right light. So you can be positioned correctly, you know, to really fill out your canvas. You delivered on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love metaphors. This is my favorite thing. You're going to make me go right tonight. This is like my favorite (laughs) part of life is connecting like abstract to really tangible, tactical things. (laughs) Goodness, you delivered on that one. (laughs) All right. I appreciate it. (laughs) And so this has been an amazing episode. I am so excited to launch this series with you. The thing that I want to ask that you do now in closing is tell the people listening anything that's on your heart, mind to share. And please tell them how they can engage with you, how they can support what you're doing in business, how they can learn from you, how they can follow you. Yeah. So what's on my heart is um, I love you. You know, my people, I love you. I want you to win. We want you to succeed. There are ways for us to be successful as a group and as individuals. And we are in a position right now to redefine what that looks like and how we get there while also deploying some proven, you know, tips, tricks, and tactics, right? So don't be discouraged by any of the numbers we shared. Um, because I could just as easily share some success stories of extremely wealthy uh, Black people. So I want us to normalize wealth when I, within our community, normalize aspiring to be wealthy, not rich, but aspiring to be wealthy and educated and knowledgeable um, in our communities. That That is heavy on my heart and is the one thing that I take into prayer literally every day. So uh, that that's on my heart. I love you. Don't give up. Keep pushing forward. We will all win together. There is no um, competition amongst us. Uh, to me, one thing I, I we talked about this before. If everybody around you broke, you broke. Yeah. I don't care how much you know money you yeah. have. Like you, you broke. You guys said like the little boy in the, in the uh, TikTok. We said Jay had one dollar and ten dimes. How much money Jay got? <laughs> Jay broke. broke. <laughs> That's like Jay broke. <laughs> like the way he said it, it, you know, so hard. He's like, I don't care how I can count it, but Jay broke. So to me, you know. If you're the only one making it, then it, your all shit fund is going to be real high because everybody around you needs you because you're the only one that's made it out. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's get out of broken places together. Yeah. Financially, mentally, whatever. Let's get out of broken places together. Um, and in terms of reaching me, my my Instagram is just uh, Instagram. So E-N-S-A dot G-R-A-M, Instagram. Um, on Instagram and then everything else that you need from there uh, or need, it will be found there. My website is Insa Huger. So that's E-N-S-A-H-U-G-E-R.com. And so you can find out more about my accounting firm, my books, um, and just even schedule sessions and coaching uh, with me there. I coach entrepreneurs uh, and I have a special school for women of color starting and growing 
businesses, consulting businesses. So reach out, connect with me. All of that is on my website. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen, listeners, this is episode one in a four-part series that INSA helped to orchestrate for us that is focused specifically on financial education, literacy, and progress. I want you to make sure you come back next week. INSA's back with us along with Joyce Lynn, and we're going to talk about getting out of debt and how you really, really do that. And the, the only thing that I want to say in closing is I've been inspired through this episode personally, right? And the one piece that stands out to me is that your selfishness becomes your sabotage, right? If you are not uplifting mm. the people who stand nearest to you, you are lowering yourself. Let's learn in color and share out loud. Go build something together with the people around you so that you all can lift each other and in turn lift the entire community. This is not a request. This is an obligation, right? There are so many people who have given so much for each of us to stand where we are. We owe them, but we also owe the people who are coming behind us to create a world and a space that is positioned for them to succeed and be all of who they are intended to be. That is our obligation, right? Let's find a way to actually go make that happen. Tune in for the next four episodes to really get close to this information. With that, Wild Black, peace. We out. Love you. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.